if you're our guest to City, want to welcome you this morning. So thankful that you're here. We as a church family are based on three simple things. We are a relationally driven, biblically based, spirit-led church. And what it means to be relationally driven means that City Church is about relationships. Here on a Sunday morning, but primarily in our life groups. And if you're here at City for more than a week or two, you're going to hear about life groups and getting involved in a smaller group where you can journey with people. They get to know your name. You get to know theirs. And you've got people to link up with in our journey of faith. The other thing is this, we are biblically based, which means we believe that the scripture, the Bible speaks to us about faith and conduct and life, and it gives us the wisdom of God. The other part about being relationally driven, by the way, is that we believe that relationship is the most important thing in life, our relationship with God and our relationships with people. The last thing is we are a spirit-led church. Being spirit-led means simply this, we know and have experienced, and the Bible teaches, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us in order to live out what we read in the scriptures, and in order to live relationships that are in line with what God calls them to be. So again, we are relationally driven, biblically based, and spirit-led. This morning, we're going to continue our Easter series that we've entitled, Crown Him King. Crown him king. And what I want us to do together is I would like for us to read together the verses of scripture that we began as we read as a congregation to prepare our hearts for worship. And so if we could have Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 up on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud and I would like for you just to simply read it to yourself. Here's what the Bible teaches us. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, By the way, in the original biblical languages, there are no exclamation points. So either words are repeated, or you have to put it in there, exclamation point. Well, that's what truly is. Truly is a verbal exclamation point. So truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. What an incredible picture. And Jesus took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Crown him as king. Crown him king. All four gospels speak of this event. It's an amazing event that would be encapsulated in all of the Gospels because it's just a few sentences. Some of the Gospels, actually, the report on this is even shorter. It just seems so brief. But it's amazing to me that the Gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, feel like it's mission critical that this story is in the Gospel. And for me, it's even more incredible. And here's why. Just prior to this episode in the Gospel of Mark, as with the other Gospels, Jesus has just announced for the second time that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. It's the second time. The Gospel says it clearly. And Jesus said for the second time, exclamation point, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. So what it is when you read this is that Jesus has a series of episodes following that second announcement that happened in pretty rapid succession. The compass of his life is now moving towards Jerusalem. He's going to go there and give up his life. And he has these episodes. As Jesus is walking along, these people bring these little children to him. Now what's fascinating in this text is that the disciples 
Jesus' posse, his closest buddies, rebuke the people who are bringing the little children. Why? Why would they rebuke them? Well, here's why. When Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die and give up my life. I'll be handed over to the religious authorities. They will hand me over to the Gentiles. I'll be tortured, crucified. When he said that to them, all they heard was, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the reason why is Jerusalem is the city of David. It's the city of Zion. It's the center of the spiritual, political, financial world for the Israel, Israelite people. And they believed, as the Old Testament says, one will show up and he will sit on David's throne and he will become king of natural Israel. When his disciples say to him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, that's what they believe about Jesus. That he's going to go to Jerusalem, he will climb up those ancient steps, he will go in towards the palace and he will literally sit on David's throne, and he will become the king of Israel, and he'll throw out all the Romans. So when Jesus says to his disciples repeatedly, and before he meets these people with these little children, he's told them clearly for the second time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. All they hear is, I'm going to Jerusalem. Let me give you a way of looking at this. It's like me in my house, where my wife says, Pete, why don't you go downstairs into the basement and clean up? You know what I hear? Why don't you go downstairs into the basement? That's what I heard. The TV is in the basement. Right? So go downstairs, help with some laundry, clean up a little bit in the basement. What I hear is, in the basement, watch television. How many men know exactly what I'm talking about? Amen. Stand together, solidarity, all the way. Well, you see, as quickly as we can do that, so can the disciples. All they hear is, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They don't hear the dying part. What they hear is, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, he will become king, he will throw out the Romans and reestablish the nation of Israel. That's what he'll do. So Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, and as he does, he's telling his disciples that his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. He's king, but it's not an earthly kingdom that he has come to establish. He tells them clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. They don't hear him. And so as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem, he's going there to be king, but not of an earthly kingdom. There's a new kingdom that he is ushering into this world. And as he's going along the road, he passes some people with some kids. And the people cry out to him, hey, Jesus. Would you place your hands on our kids? And his disciples rebuke them. Why? Why would they rebuke them? Here's why. If Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem to be king, you don't need kids. You don't need them. What you do need are people that can help you rule and reign. And oh, by the way, the disciples have some really good suggestions as to who should rule and reign with Jesus. They've actually blatantly said it. One of their mothers pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, when you sit on David's throne, how about one of my sons sits on your left and my other son sits on your right? Sounds like a wonderful mom. Until the other disciples hear what she did, and it ticks them off. The idea here is, is that Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, and as he does, these people cry out, put your hands on our children. Now, his disciples picture a king, an earthly one. 
Let me show you some pictures that I took last week in Israel of what Jewish kings do. Let me show you what they do. If we could put some up on the screen. This is Masada. We hiked that. That little serpentine thing off on the right center is a group of people that are hiking down from Masada. The reason why we hiked down is the gondola broke. That's a whole nother story. But all the way up on top of Masada, Masada, King Herod, the king of the Jews, built himself a fortress and a palace that he could sneak away to for vacations. He's a special guy. Here's some other things. Next slide, if you would. This, by the way, is in Caesarea. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. King Herod, who was king of the Jews, built himself this chariot racing space, two-thirds of a mile lined it as you can see with seats on the right and it overlooks the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the waves wisping up against the sidewall there and it's this absolutely gorgeous setting. Well, this is what King Herod made for himself for his own entertainment. Next slide. This is the amphitheater that's right there in Caesarea that overlooks the Mediterranean, seats about 3,000 people. They actually hold concerts in it to this day. And he built that for himself. Why? Because he's king. And he built this and he actually named it after the Caesar that had made him king over the Jews. Next slide. This is an aqueduct where those arches are about 20 feet tall. That aqueduct goes for 10 miles. 10 miles. And do you want to know why? Because King Herod wanted a fresh water pool in his palace. So he built a 10-mile aqueduct to bring water off the warm springs in the mountains so that he would not have a saltwater pool. He would have a freshwater pool. Oh, hail, King Herod. You see, this is what kings of the Jews do. They build stuff, big stuff. They get a lot of money from the people, and they build stuff with grandeur. That's what they do. And so Jesus' disciples are right on his coattail. And man, he's moving towards Jerusalem. And as he's moving towards Jerusalem, they have all of these visions in their heads. By the way, what you just saw is all from the time of Jesus. All of it. So he's moving towards Jerusalem and his disciples are behind him and they have this grand vision of when Jesus walks into Jerusalem and he sits on David's throne. Oh my goodness, the buildings they're going to build. Do you know why I know that? Because all you got to do is go fishing with Jesus and you get gold coins out of the fish's mouths from the Sea of Galilee. Man, this new king can turn water into wine. Can you imagine? He can take loaves and fishes and multi... Man, when he's king, watch out. Wait till you see what we built. While he's on his way to Jerusalem to give up his life, some people yell to him, Jesus, Jesus, they're bringing little children to him, Mark 10, 13, for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. You see, kings don't have time for kids. They don't. No time at all. But what's amazing is that there are these people who they're, I'm picturing, have their children, and they're saying to Jesus, would you come and place your hand on our children? Would you do that? And the disciples rebuke them. And yet Jesus gets indignant. And he stops. What's this whole idea of laying hands on? Or what is that all about? Well, if you were to look in the Older Testament, it's something that Jewish patriarchs did to, plas to pass the divine blessing of God on to someone else. The most famous story that you'll find in the Older Testament is found in Genesis 27. And in Genesis 27, beginning with verse 1, it tells us that Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the three patriarchs of the Jewish faith, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were weak so that he could no longer see, he called for his 
older son Esau and said to him, my son, here I am. His son approaches him. And what's going to happen next is Isaac wants to pass the divine blessing that God has placed on him to his son Esau. Esau was his favorite. Esau had a brother named Jacob. They're twins, but Jacob's younger. Esau came out first. Well, Rebekah, the mother, the wife of Isaac, hears the conversation between Isaac and Esau. And when Esau goes to do what his dad told him to do, his dad said, look, Esau, you're the hunter. I want you to go out into the woods, shoot my favorite game, cook it the way I love it, bring it to me, and after I eat that meal, I'm going to bless you. I will lay my hand on you and pass on God's blessing. But Rebekah hears that, the mother, the wife of Isaac, and her favorite is Jacob. By the way, it is a classic dysfunctional family. Just going to tell you. And they inherited their dysfunction from Abraham. He was no better. So they're in the midst of this dysfunction. Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. And when Esau goes off into the woods to hunt, she grabs her son Jacob and says, look, go to your father real quick. I'll cook you up some game. We'll do this real quickly. And I'll sneak you in before Esau. And you'll have the hands laid on you instead of your brother. But Jacob's no dummy. You see, Esau is hairy and red. And he's a hunter. Jacob, it says, cooked and hung around the tents. They're polar opposites. But you see, Jacob was smooth skin and shiny. So what do you do? So Rebecca says to Jacob, Jacob says, hey, look, when dad goes to lay his hands on me, I'm not hairy enough. And she says, that's okay, go kill the cat. In fact, go kill two or three cats. Just go kill a couple animals, and he does. And she ties the fur on the nape of his neck and on his arms. And he goes in and tries to alter his voice and she cooks something quick and he carries it into his father and says, Father, I'm here. And his dad says, you know, you sound like Jacob. He says, no, I'm not. <laughs> Billy was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And Isaac, who can't see, says, well, come here. And he reaches out to put his hand on him. It says when he does, he feels the hairiness. What he does next is he transfers by the laying on of hands a divine blessing that Abraham had passed to him. He now passes it on to Jacob instead of Esau. It's incredible trickery. But when it's discovered, Esau comes in with the game and he says, Father, I've shot what you love. I've prepared it the way you love it. And his dad says to him, Esau, someone has tricked me. And I have blessed someone else. And it is absolutely irrevocable. That blessing is the destiny of God. It makes all the difference. When the hands are laid and a blessing is said, it alters the destiny of the person. And if you were to read the story, it says Esau wept and he begged that his father would bless him. But if you look at the blessing that Isaac gives Esau, it's more like a curse than a blessing because there's nothing left. The blessing has been given. It's irrevocable. And their lives take total different trajectories. You see, the blessing is a profound thing. The laying on of hands is a profound thing. And you have these people who have these little babies and they're on the edge of the road and Jesus is coming by and his disciples see him as the new King Herod, the one that will make Israel great. And as he's passing through, these people say, will you bless my child? They know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've seen Jesus and what God's doing in him and through him and all they want is for him to bless their children. The Bible says, will you lay your hand on our children? You know, I picture it this way. There's a mother, her name's Esther. She's got her Tuesday afternoon play group. They're there with their carriages and they're playing on the jungle gym there and the edge of the road and Esther all of a sudden says, you know something, someone told me 
that that rabbi from Galilee is going to pass by. His name's Jesus of Nazareth. Some believe he's the Messiah. And the rest of the women say, let's get our children. They scoop up the tiny ones that can't walk. They catch the rest of the pre-K kids that are running around. They grab them and they go and they line the edge of the road. And the Bible says, they say, Jesus, would you lay your hand on my child? That's all I want. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, the Bible tells us the following, that he, meaning Jesus, took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. But before he did that, he became indignant against his disciples. They had no idea what kind of a king he would be. And here, on his march to Jerusalem, he stops and he grabs these children. And the Bible says he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. You know how I picture this? If you try to grab a bunch of kids at once, you can't place your hand on them. It takes one to hold them and the other one to bless them. Trust me, I've had three of them. It's kind of like discipline, only in reverse. One hand to hold them, the other hand to discipline them. Not in your house, right? In my house, the way I grew up, many a time did one hand hold me and the other hand bless me from behind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But you see, these people are lining. We don't know how many, but I think there were many. Maybe a dozen. Maybe two dozen. So picture this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples are filled with kingly images of what Jesus is going to do for them. And he stops. And he takes the first child and he holds it. Because how can you bless more than one child at once? And he holds the baby in his arms and he places his hand on its head. And just like the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he blesses. And then he hands off the child. And he takes the next one. And he puts his hand on the child. And he blesses it. And he does this for each and every single child that's been presented to him. Every one of them. Now let me tell you something. If Jesus would have passed by, no one would have minded. No one. Here's the reason why. Whether he was going to be king like David, or he was going to be crucified, what difference does it make if you stop and you hold a child in your arm, or you hold children in your arm, and you bless them with that Abrahamic blessing? What difference would it make? If you're going to be king like David, what you need to do is being about getting your cabinet together, your generals together, your architects together, your tax collectors together. You need to be about that business. So if you're going to be the king like David, don't waste your time. But if you're going to go to Jerusalem to be crucified, don't waste your time either. Because what difference will it make? You'll hold this child, you'll bless it, you're never going to live to see the blessing. You're never going to live to see it. And on top of that, what we know is that infant mortality rate was 30%. After a child got past one year of age, 30% more most likely would not reach adulthood. So no one would mind. If Jesus had walked straight past those people, and kept right on going, no one would have blamed him, no one would have minded, except the people who are on the edge of the road holding their children. Now I know some of you are sitting here, and we have hundreds of parents in this room. And when you think about Jesus holding your child, placing his hand upon them and speaking a patriarchal blessing over them, you can't think of anything better. 
But there are some of us that are sitting here and you're thinking, I don't get it. I'm going to tell you why you don't get it. You don't have a child. But to help you with this, just in case you don't know, at one point, you was one. In case you didn't know. And when you look at this story, it's an incredible story of Jesus moving towards Jerusalem and he does something that grips the soul of the gospel writers and they can't get rid of it and they write it in their gospel. Why? It is so different than what anyone would have ever expected. Jesus stopped, maybe for 20 minutes, maybe for an hour. And he gathered up each child in his arm and he placed a hand on them and he blessed them. I have a question. What do you do with someone like this? What do you do with someone who's heading to Jerusalem to die and they take the time to grab up a child or to grab up children and place a hand on them and bless them? What do you do? I'm going to give you a hint. You crown him king. Because in the end, you don't want a military leader. You don't want someone with political savvy. You don't want someone that can make you rich. What you want is a king who gathers children in his arms and he blesses them with a patriarchal blessing. That's my king. That's who I'm going to follow. That's who I'm going to serve. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you have never come to the point where you've considered Jesus, consider him as this. Consider him as the king who would stop and would gather a child and lay a hand upon them and speak a blessing when everyone around him was saying, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. I would encourage you, crown him as king. More importantly, crown him as your king. The next, follow him and serve others. Follow him and serve others. Because if this is how Jesus lived his life, not only should I by faith crown him as my king, but I should live my life similarly to his. He's not just a good, a good idea. He's an example that we're called to live our lives by. To help us do this, I'm going to ask that Deanna would join me up here at the table. Deanna, if you'll come on up. A couple of weeks ago, maybe just over a month ago now, Deanna did something um, that people often do at City Church. She cornered me after the service and said, I have an idea. Now, I have an unspoken, not rule, but thought, and it's this. If someone comes to me and says, I have an idea, I always ask them, well, how are you going to accomplish it? I'll pray for you, help you all I can, but what are you going to do? So, Deanna, um, you pigeonholed me after service with your husband. Do you want to stand real quick? Go ahead and stand up. Everyone say, hi. So he's a very big man. And so while he was standing there, I thought I'd better listen to his wife. So I did. So first of all, um, Deanna, kind of tell us what you do professionally. I'm a nurse at the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at UVA. Okay. And I think we have a couple pictures up here of you hard at work in each one of the pictures. Go ahead and scroll through them. And some of your friends attend City Church that work with you, am I right? There's another one right out there. Can you stand? <laughs> Go ahead and stand. You can't get away without standing. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. And so tell us a little bit about what you do at, uh, in the PICU. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, as you can imagine, it's the intensive care unit. So we take care of the sickest of the sick. We see children in their worst of times and parents in their darkest of days. But we also 
uh, specialize in miracles. We see children leave our unit and get to experience life when we never would have been able to do that in the past. For example, our babies with congenital heart disease, we did, I think, 400 cases last year. And, you know, not even 50 years ago, those children would not have life. That's exciting. So it must be difficult but fulfilling. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so you came to me with an idea about something that you wanted to do. So kind of give me the background of where the idea came from in the sense of how the Lord burdens your heart. Yeah, so actually the one here on the end um, is the founder of a parent ministry. It's already active in Waynesboro, like Augusta County areas uh, that serves foster children. So um, I randomly had a conversation with her and um, she had been talking about her journey bags, which you may have seen my booth out there. This is what we're doing. Uh, she uh, mentioned that she needed help with a website randomly. I mean, I do that. I don't know how nurses manage to do it, but that randomly, we could say, um, happened. So I started on this website, and through this process, we actually had a child in our children's hospital area, not in my unit, luckily, but she is a child who is in need of a bone marrow transplant, so she is very, very, very sick. So Jen, the leader, um, she came to me and my husband and asked if we would care to foster her. I Obviously, that's a very big burden, and I did not feel that we can give her all the love, but then I really kind of had this pressure weighing on me that we were not maybe doing enough for our children. So I believe you had a very nice uh, sermon recently talking about how we are to serve others, and I kind of felt that pressure on me a little bit more, and I had been talking to Jenna about this in the past, and she so I, I accosted you out in the, in the parking lot. It wasn't accosting, but it, I survived it. <laughs> and um, I basically told him that we should do this. Yes, you did. And so kind of explain the foster care piece. So you'll have children that come to you, into your ward, into your care, and kind of explain that, and then how they end up in foster care. So the kids who come to my unit are oftentimes the ones that you will see court cases about or big news publicity. They're very, very awful situations. Children who have no business being on my unit except that a, an adult um, took out their anger on them. So my children are very, very, very sick. But in general, we will see children who are pulled out of homes for neglect. It could be a medical, they already have conditions where they're not getting their medicines or, um, or even uh, just not going to appointments or things like that, which is what the little girl who is already in, who entered our right. system right. was dealing with. Um, but then we'll have like the shaken babies and the awful, awful things. So, so, so these we, babies get taken from their homes. They get pulled then. out of their homes, yes. Yes, and then they come to your ward and then they move towards foster care from your ward. Mm -hmm. Yes. So explain the ministry idea that you came to me with that City Church can be involved with in order to help with this transition between being on your ward and foster care, the government taking the children away, and then placing them with the family. So our method right now is very, very simple. We have these very nice journey bags. They're called journeys because they're on a journey. So we have them filled with things that are essential, like toiletries and a, an outfit. You know, sometimes they're picked up and they don't have clothing. Uh, we had one child over this winter break time who was picked up in an adult t-shirt and it was a little, little baby. So that makes it very difficult when they enter into the foster home. So this has an outfit, it has some toys, and most importantly, there is a note that we put in there that you can fill with whatever 
passages or whatever quotes or whatever would make you feel warm to give these children a little bit of love. And so just so you know, Deanna went to social services here in Charlottesville after she approached me. She met with our pastoral team, and then you met with social services and got official clearance that City Church can put these care packages together, these journey bags, because I know at times when some families get a child, they don't have any of what they need, right? They can get a call and within an hour, the child's coming to their house or something like that. Yes. So really, ideally, the journey bags are just the start. We really would like to grow this to become much more than that so that foster care in Charlottesville is a positive experience. So maybe there's somebody out there who has felt called to be a foster parent. We want to be a resource for them so that they can tackle this challenge successfully. So what would happen after the service? You've got a table out in the foyer, and so as people are exiting, if they'd like to know more about this, they can just head to your table, and you'll give them a greater explanation of what they need and how to participate. Certainly, yes. I mean, we serve 60 kids approximately per year in Charlottesville alone. So ideally, there's, I don't know how many people you would say, but I think there's more than 60 oh definitely I I think easily we should be able to serve all of our children if you come back to the table come and and we'll explain to you how but I would really my plan is to not miss another child and so essentially one of the things that they'll be committing to is to put one of these bags together to buy the things that go in the bag right and then I think you said that your husband said you could store them on his side of the bed in your bedroom and you could keep them at the house. Isn't that what you said? Uh, yeah. I did say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a great idea. I think it's an easy idea to bring a little light and love to the babies. So feel free, come visit. So listen, I think sometimes we hear messages and we say, well, how do I walk it out? The first one is, is to make Jesus your king. But the second one is, I think City Church is positioned to do an incredible thing for these families that will be taking in foster children. How many of you can understand what we're talking about this morning? It's a low barrier, easy involvement way for City Church to reach out and to love and to support people who are doing an incredible thing for kids in our community. But I will tell you, when the nurses met with us and our pastoral team, they were incredibly burdened by what they see goes on in these children's lives and some of the stuff that's been done to them. And so really our prayer is, is that as we get involved and we participate and these care journey bags are handed off, that we'll be able to be a blessing. The other thing is, is that the foster care family may choose to actually reach out to City Church to get some more support, to get some love, to get some prayer. And so there'll be a card in there that will help them to do that if they want. None of this is forced on them. All of this is kind of free will and choice. But I think it's incredible that social services is as excited about this as we are because this has been a real gap in foster care in Charlottesville. Does this make sense to everyone? Does this make sense to everyone? So Deanna, um, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but would you pray a blessing over City Church that as we get involved, we're going to be able to bring light and life into these little kids' lives. So would you pray? Sure, no pressure. Um, That's why I didn't ask you before. Dear Heavenly Father, today we come to you hoping and praying for you to call on these people to bring a little light to our children who are in need. These are children who do not have the support the people to guide them. I know my, I was guided by my grandmother and I, I pray that you are looking after her and you will help to bring her light into my life to continue this, this process. So if you could call on these lovely people to, to help me in bringing a little bit of love to our children, that would be your name we pray amen amen let's give deanna a hand good job thank you i'll take that thank you
So I want to encourage you, one of the steps we can take practically in walking out the idea of Jesus loving on the children is if you wouldn't mind uh, going back to the table in the foyer, Deanna will be back there. If you have any questions, we're gonna, she'll field them and really let you know how you can become involved in the ministry that God's calling her to. Does this make sense to everyone? Now, normally what we do at this time is we have kind of a time of prayer. What we're going to do instead is we're going to stand together and we're going to have a brief time of worship. So if we can all stand together, we're going to have a very brief time of worship and then we're going to baptize two people. And if any others are ready and would like to come forward, they can. But we're going to do that just for a moment and then we'll be dismissed with just in a few moments. Let's worship with all of our hearts. Listen, we now have an opportunity to worship a king who stopped to gather children into his arms and he prayed a blessing over them and God used it tremendously. Let's worship him together. Amen? Let's worship. Sing Christ is my reward. Christ is my reward. And all of my devotion And now there's nothing in this world That could ever satisfy Through every trial My soul will sing No turning back I've been set free Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. Christ, my all in all. The joy of my salvation. And this hope will never fail. For heaven is our hope. Our home through every storm, my soul will sing. Jesus is here to God be the glory.
I mentioned before the service, that water baptism is a step, but you can be seated. Um, as I mentioned before the service, water baptism is a step of obedience before the Lord. We do it because Jesus was baptized to identify with us. And we too, after accepting him by faith, follow through in obedience with water baptism as we identify with him as he is identified with us. The Apostle Paul explains water baptism the following way. That when we go down into the water, it's our death. And when we rise up out of the water, we rise up in resurrection life. We rise up to new life in Christ. I cannot tell you how exciting this is. I can't tell you how exciting this is. And so this is the Lamont Sandridge. Everyone say, hi, Lamont. Lamont and I have been friends for a while. Um, I performed he and his wife's wedding. They were living in Richmond. And then Jesus got a hold of their hearts, really, and they moved to Charlottesville. Do you know what I mean? So now they're part of City Church. But Lamont, is there anything that you wanted to share about your faith before we baptize you in water? Um, I guess for me, it's really started uh, back in October. I lost my mother. And uh, I guess since then, before you know, she passed, she was like, whenever you're ready to be baptized, you know, whenever you're ready. And I think once she passed, you know, I lost her, but found Christ. So I felt like this was like the best time and opportunity to do that. So very good. Amen. Let's give Lamont a hand. So, so Lamont, if you'll put your hand over your right here, okay. grab your nose. Well, we have to talk first. <laughs> Hold on. So Lamont, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yeah. Uh -huh. So Lamont, go ahead and okay. left hand that wrist. Okay. Go ahead and sit. So Lamont, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, I have. Upon your confession of faith and your profession that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. Give me five. Don't hug me because you're wet. Go that way. I'm going to help you get up over to the steps. And then come on down, be careful, it'll be a little slick. Here you go. Nice towel, by the way. There you go. It's his wife's, he said. He threw her under the bus. And this is Tracy Allrope. So Tracy, come on out. I'm going to help you get up the steps there. Because they might be a little wet from Lamont. And then if, I'm sorry, it's not the warmest in the world, but that's why I'm out here and you're in there. So. Okay. <laughs> you're going to survive this? I'm good. All right, awesome. You hold that though because I'm shaking. Okay, she wants me to hold the mic because she's shaking. And um, just like Lamont, Tracy has come to the point in her life where Jesus has deeply touched her. And so do you want to share just a little bit about what that experience and how it happened? Yeah. Um, I was baptized. Hold on, I need to turn the mic on first. That would help us, won't it? There we go. Uh, I grew up in church in Pennsylvania, three times on Sunday, youth groups on Wednesday. And um, my mom died when I was 16, and I, at that point I went through probably the, one of the worst times of my life, five went rebellious and I went a lot of wrong paths, made a lot of wrong choices. And so I moved to Charlottesville and I was looking for a long time for a church. And the kind of church I wanted was like a Joel Osteen church. Oh boy. No, you're my Joel Osteen. And um, I tried a lot of churches and they just worked for me, and a friends of mine recommended that I come to City Church. So I had started to come last year, but because of my job and being busy, I couldn't come every Sunday. So during the slow season, I thought, this I'm going to make this choice. And at the time, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown with 
relationship problems, work problems, financial problems, health problems, and the more I tried to fix it myself, the worse it got. And my turning point was Pete's service about having a blessed 2017 where he said that I need, there are people who are struggling that they might need to let something go. And at that point, before I realized that I was halfway up to the front of the church, and a um, gentleman in the front, I don't know where he is, but he prayed with me. And I just let all of my stress and struggles and feelings of failure and feelings of just unworthiness go and let God take in charge of my life. And as I was leaving the church, I put on Pandora, my favorite Christian contemporary um, station, and Big Daddy Weave came on with Redeemed. And that is probably the story of my life, I feel. <laughs> Like God has given me a second chance in life and I'm not going to mess it up. And if I have him in my life, I can do anything. So kind of share with the City Church family, your church family, sort of what's happened since you prayed that prayer and you kind of gave yourself back to Jesus. Uh, my job is very stressful, um, but he's given me peace. He's given me calm. I know that with God. He works with me during the day, and he keeps everything running smoothly. I still have financial problems, but I, it, it's in God's will, and whatever happens, I'm going to be happy with my life the way it is. And work has been, it's just been amazing. I have had more peace, more happiness, and less stress in, than I have had in my entire life. I just thank Jesus for that. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. So Tracy, I'm going to ask that you go ahead and just sit down. There's a flat spot behind you. Go ahead and be seated. Sorry about that. You'll remember Ooh, this, believe me. Yeah, you'll, you'll, she said she's in the Jordan River right now. So, so Tracy, I'm going to ask that you'd go ahead and cover your nose and mouth and then put this hand on your wrist. Tracy, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, I have. Tracy, upon your confession of faith, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'm going to help you out. Step up this way. Go. Come down easy. There you go. Let's give Tracy another hand. There you go. God bless you, dear. God bless you. Now, is there anyone else that would like to be baptized in water? Is there anyone else? I want to say this. That maybe this morning you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you that you're supposed to be. We're going to have another water baptism in the very, very near future. And so if you've not been baptized in water, but you sense that that's what the Lord wants you to do, please just put in your news feed your name right on the tear-off and put in there your name and just write the word baptism with some basic contact information. We'll have another water baptism as soon as we need one. Does that sound good to everyone? Does that sound good to everyone? All right, let's stand together. And we're going to exit. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'd like us to sing that song again. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And we're going to take just a moment to worship the Lord through that song one more time. Once your heart is satisfied, please feel free to slip out quietly. If you would like to remain here to worship, we invite you to do that. God bless you. Let's worship together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow. Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow.
with us. We're, we're going to sing a few more songs. Pray you have, I pray you have a blessed day.
Exalted over all 